Good morning, Tyler Town Church. I hope you all are doing well this morning. Uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to the book of Psalm chapter 23. Psalm chapter 23, that's where we're going to be looking at uh, this morning. Really uh, kind of wrapping up a short mini-series that we've been working through starting last week on the 23rd Psalm entitled, The Good Shepherd. Uh, and so while you're turning there, I want to get a couple things out of the way. First of all, if I haven't met you, maybe you're, you're visiting with us. This is your first time here. My name is Ben Scott. Uh, I'm actually a deacon here at Tylertown Church. Our campus pastor, Pastor Irvin Waswa, he, he's out of town again this week. He's actually uh, enjoying a vacation. Uh, pastors need vacation too, so he's enjoying some time off this week. He told me to let you all know he's doing great, and, and he, he'll be back soon. But while he's out, that means that I get to, I have the opportunity to fill in. Uh, and you may be wondering why I'm sitting up here on a stool wearing shorts. Uh, I, I don't typically choose to do that when I preach. I, I'm recovering from an ACL surgery just a few weeks ago, so I would appreciate any grace that you could show me uh, during this time. But Psalm 23, the Good Shepherd, that's where we're going to be. And, and before I go any further, can y'all feel the Holy Spirit in the room this morning? I mean, come on, can we? Can we? Can you feel the Holy Spirit? I, Alyssa was talking earlier. You know, things have been going wrong a little bit this morning. We've had some tech issues. About half the band is sick. I'm up here sitting down, and I hate sitting down. And, and let me tell you something, church. Satan works real hard when he knows that God has something big to do. And I really believe that God has a message to, to speak to us here this morning. I'll tell you what, I was getting fired up while we were singing. I love, maybe it's just the acoustic kind of low-key uh, vibe that we had to that worship, but that was awesome. The Holy Spirit is here and he's ready to work. So can I just ask that we approach, you know, this time with, with open hearts, not to listen to what, to what I have to say, not to listen to the message that I have to present, but to hear the message that God once proclaimed this morning. The Holy Spirit is at work in this room. And so today we're going to be looking at the final three verses of Psalm 23, right? Like I said, wrapping up our series on the Good Shepherd. And, and just like last week, my hope and my prayer is that this is a message of encouragement, a message of encouragement, no, no matter where you are, no matter what you're walking through in life right now, that it'll be an encouragement, it will be a reminder just for all of us of, of who we serve, right, who our God truly is, who is on our side, no matter what we're going through, right, a reminder that, yes, God, He is mighty, He is great, He, he is powerful, He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the, the Alpha, the Omega, the one who was, who is, and is to come, He's all of these things, but he's also a good shepherd. A good shepherd who cares very deeply for his sheep. So with that in mind, let's turn to Psalm 23. We'll be looking at the, the, the final three verses, but I do want to go ahead and read the whole thing. So Psalm 23, you can follow along with your Bibles or on the screen as well. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So as just a bit of, of a recap, if you weren't here 
last week, Psalm 23, that the psalm that we're studying today, it was a psalm written by David, right? King David. Uh, we talked about how this was likely written later in his life. It was written after he had been king for a while. He had, he had seen God work some, some crazy miracles in his own life. He had seen the Lord do some mighty great things in his own life. And he knew firsthand just how great and how awesome our God Jehovah truly was. But he also knew how deeply and how personally our God cares for each and every one of us. And, and what I love about Psalm 23, specifically as we get to the second half of this passage, is that we see David take a, a shift in his syntax. He shifts kind of the perspective from which he's speaking. You see, in the second half of Psalm 23, David is no longer talking about our God. David is talking to our God. He no longer says, he makes me lie down in green pastures, or he restores my soul. He says, no, he says, you, you know, you are my God. He's speaking to him personally. And church, that's the advantage. That is the advantage that we have as Christians. Right? We, we don't serve some distant, faraway God who we only get to talk about in the third person. No, we get to communicate. We get to speak directly to our God. And I just love the imagery that David is, is creating here. It's so fitting because it paints such a rich, deep picture of how much our God cares for us as a good shepherd. Right? Like I discussed last week, early in his life, David was a shepherd. He knew the ins and outs of what it meant to take care of sheep. He knew how much went into it. He knew that sheep are dumb. Sheep are stupid. Sheep are helpless. Without a shepherd, sheep have nowhere to go. They're basically worthless. They need that shepherd to be right there with them day by day, leading them and guiding them and directing them, protecting them, and healing them. A shepherd day by day cares for and tends to his sheep. And so church, in the same way the good shepherd, God, Jesus Christ, he's personal. He's near to us. He's not some distant, far off God who set the world into motion and stepped away. No, he wants to be intimately involved in our life. And we have the ability to speak directly to the good shepherd as our friend as our ally, as our companion through life. And he wants to draw near to us, church, and he wants us to draw near to him. Will you pray with me? Father God, it's, it's been awesome already this morning to just feel the Holy Spirit working in this room, to see the great things that you've done, God. And I just pray that, that you would continue to work in the next few moments, Lord, that you would take a, a broken vessel, a broken mouthpiece, Lord, and move me out of your way, God, that you would proclaim the message that you want proclaimed, that, that your truth, your beauty would just be exposed here today, God, that, Lord, we would be reminded of what it means for you to be the good shepherd, Lord, that we would be encouraged to just commit ourselves to following you, to walking alongside you day by day, God, as our good shepherd. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we pray all these things in your holy name. Amen. The year was 1995 when some of the most deep and profound lyrics about friendship that have ever been penned were written. Uh, there's a song that was actually written for a movie. It was written for a movie, and uh, the song ended up probably coming about, becoming about as famous as the movie, but it included some really deep lyrics that speak to the heart of of what friendship truly is, and you've probably heard them before. I'll read these lyrics real quick. It says, 
you've got a friend in me. You've got a friend in me. When the road looks rough ahead and you're miles and miles from your nice warm bed, you just remember what your old pal said. You've got a friend in me. I think some of you have probably probably heard it before, right? Later on, the song continues. You've got troubles. I've got them too. There isn't anything I wouldn't do for you. We stick together and see it through. Boy, you've got a friend in me. I, that one, by the way, Pastor Irvin, if you're watching, I know you love Toy Story, so that one is a little bit for you. Uh, but, you know, obviously, I, I'm kidding around. Those aren't necessarily the most deep or rich or profound lyrics about friendship that have ever been written. But, church, I think if we really pause and we look at them and we let them, they'll speak some truth to us about what friendship is really about. It speaks some truth, some serious truth about friendship. You see, church, when life is tough, right, when we're miles and miles from our bed, when, when things are really looking down for us, when, when our life is just kind of bleh, nothing quite helps like having a friend with you. Am I right? No, there's nothing like having a friend just walk alongside you. If I, if I think about some of, my, some of my best friends, right, there's, there's not much in life that I don't think I can make it through if, if I've got a best friend beside me. If I've got a friend beside me, I can power through just about anything. And so what I love about the imagery that David uses here in Psalm 23, specifically in this second half when he's talking about the good shepherd, he's addressing the good shepherd as a friend as someone who comes and walks right alongside us and who day by day is taking care of us, not, like I said, as someone who's far away, but as a friend who cares deeply about us. And so just like last week, I I looked at four things. We looked at four things that the Good Shepherd does for his sheep. We're going to do the exact same thing today in these final three verses. I want to focus on four things that we see the Good Shepherd do for his sheep. The four things the Good Shepherd, as a friend, does for his sheep. And so first, we see that the good shepherd abides with his sheep. The good shepherd abides with his sheep. Now, one of the downsides about splitting Psalm 23 right down the middle means that when you come to the second half of the passage, you, you pick up in verse 4, and it's not exactly the most joyful place to be. All right, when we look at verse 4, David says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Whew. That is not a happy place to start. And that's not a place that I think anybody wants to be. The valley of the shadow of death. This place of intense darkness, extreme danger, right? David's not just talking about some mildly difficult or somewhat hard times. No, he's talking about intense spiritual warfare, physical turmoil. This could be, you know, the the death of a loved one, a serious physical illness taking place in your life. It's those those hopeless moments where you are at the end of your rope, where, where you're looking up, you know, God, where are you at? I am I am struggling. I am going through it right now. It is those terrible, dark times. And what we see is that David here assumes that we're all going to go through those dark times. He just assumes that we are going to go through the valley of the shadow of death. Right? He doesn't say if I go through the valley of the shadow of death. He says, even though, some translations say, when I go through the valley of the shadow of death. David knew this firsthand, by the way, church. We, we tend to kind of romanticize these biblical figures, but no, David lived a tough life. Sure, he was king, but his life was full of trials, tribulations. His home life was a mess. It was a wreck. He, he buried several children, some children that were killed by his other children. He went through the darkest of the darkest 
valleys. And what I love about our Bible, about the Scripture, is that it, it never tries to paint a picture of this life that, that doesn't correspond with reality. It never pretends that our life is, is going to be something that it's not, right? Never are we told as Christians that our lives are going to be some walk in the park, right? We're never told that if we love God, our lives are going to be easy. It's just, it's just going to be a breeze. You know, as a matter of fact, the Bible explicitly says the opposite, right? Jesus Christ in John chapter 16, verse 33, he, he says, in this world, you will have tribulations. In this world, you will have tribulations. You're going to go through dark times. In Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 23, let's read these. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 23, this is the Apostle Paul writing here. He says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Hear me out. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You see, here Paul is explaining that while we live this life, while we are in these earthly bodies, we're going to face difficult times. We are going to find ourselves, each and every one of us, if if God blesses us to live long enough on this earth, are going to find ourselves in the valley of the shadow of death. In the valley of the shadow of death. And yet what we see here in Psalm 23 is that in spite of all of that, we don't have to be afraid. You see, David makes a bold claim. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I am on death's doorstep, and you know what? I'm not afraid. That's a bold claim. How can David say that? Well, he follows it up with the most important part. He says, for you are with me. For you are with me. Church, the good shepherd abides with his sheep. The good shepherd abides with the sheep. And what we see here is that God doesn't just come along and directly pull us out of the valley. He doesn't promise to immediately remove us from our hard times. He also doesn't promise that he's going to be waiting on the other side saying, come on, you can make it, you can do it, just come to me. The good shepherd is with his sheep in the valley of the shadow of death. He is walking right beside him day by day by day. And for the Christian, for us, this is literal, right? God is with us. Emmanuel, God is with us. For the Christian, the Holy Spirit is indwelling within us every single day. We are walking with Christ. We are walking with the Lord. See, I think sometimes some of us kind of get in the mindset of what I like to call FaceTime God, right? We think we serve a FaceTime God. Yes, we can see God and we can talk to him, but only when we really want to, right? You know, when we serve a FaceTime God, you pull him out, you FaceTime him when you want, you talk to him, you have that communication, you put him back away. Church, we don't serve a FaceTime God. We don't just serve a God who's with us when, when he wants to talk to us or when it's convenient for us to talk to him. He is with us every single step of every single day. He abides with his sheep. Last week we looked at John 10 where, where Christ calls himself the good shepherd and he talked about how he came to bring life and how there's other false shepherds who would seek to lead us to death. Well, church, those false shepherds, they're not going to abide with you through the valley 
of the shadow of death. They're always going to abandon us in the valley of the shadow of death. Just let me throw out an example, right? Let's say you're serving the shepherd of wealth. That's the shepherd you're following. Okay? If you think, if I can just build up enough wealth, I'll be able to take care of myself. When the hard times come, I'll be good. What happens when there's a big financial crisis, right? You're fired from your job. The economy collapses. That shepherd abandons you. If you're serving, serving the shepherd of health, if you think I can just be healthy enough, if I can just take care of my body enough that I'll be able to avoid the valley of the shadow of death, what happens when an unexpected illness strikes? When, when you suffer a major injury, when your body lets you down, those shepherds, those false shepherds will always abandon you in the valley of the shadow of death, but only the good shepherd comes alongside his sheep and walks right alongside us through the valley of the shadow of death. And so we see that the good shepherd abides here in verse 4, but we also see that the good shepherd comforts. David continues on, he says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, not only does the good shepherd come alongside his sheep and, and walk with them through the, dark, the darkest valleys, he also provides comfort through the valley. What's so important, church, is that we, again, we realize that this, this comfort, it's not just coming in the future, right? David doesn't say, when I get out of the valley, I'll be comforted. It's the good shepherd comforts us while we are still in the valley, when we are in those darkest times, when we, we feel hopeless and helpless. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And what he's doing here, he's highlighting two primary ways that we see the good shepherd comfort his sheep. He first speaks about the rod. And what we see is that the good shepherd provides protection for his sheep. He comforts his sheep by providing protection. A shepherd's rod was essentially its tool that it would use to beat away any, any enemies that would come to attack the sheep. Uh, for lack of better words, a rod was like a beating stick. Right? When, the, when the wolf, when the bear, when the lion came to do harm to the sheep, the shepherd would step up with its rod and it would attack whatever's coming to harm the sheep. The good shepherd, he comforts his sheep by protecting them. We just sang songs about how our God is our comforter by being our protector, our refuge, our strength. Psalm chapter 46, verses 1 through 3, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help, not a distant help, a present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. God, guys, in the valley of the shadow of death, our God is our protector. We're still in the valley, but we don't have to be afraid. We can be comforted because he protects us. And don't, don't get caught up. Protection doesn't necessarily mean that God is going to take us out of our trials. It means that he's going to take us through our trials. Let me say that again. Protection doesn't mean that God is going to take us out of our trials. It means that he is going to take us through our trials, walking right alongside us. James chapter 1, verse 3, it says that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. God allows those trials to, to come and to test us so that we can draw nearer to him, so that we can lean into his protection, lean into his comfort, and learn to trust him as the good shepherd. And so the good shepherd, he doesn't only pro provide comfort through protection, he also provides comfort through direction. David says, your rod and your staff, 
they come from me. And last week we looked at how the good shepherd is a guide who leads, his, who leads us, his sheep, into paths of righteousness. And here we see that he also guides us through the valley of the shadow of death. When we think about a shepherd's staff, that's the traditional shepherd tool that you think of, the, the candy cane-shaped tool. Uh, and it was the tool that the shepherd would gently use for, for reaching and guiding the sheep wherever they needed to go, pulling them maybe away from danger and back onto the path that they needed to walk in. And I think this might speak a little bit to God's discipline that he provides us, right? The discipline that he gives us when we start to swerve, when we start to go away, he gently pulls us back. And it's kind of weird to think about discipline as being something that is comforting, but any parents in here would know that discipline is an essential part of providing a comfortable life, of making things comfortable for your child. But the image that we really see here that David creates is one of the good shepherd being right here in the midst of his sheep, staff in one hand, rod in the other, just ready to to beat away any enemies that come to attack the sheep, ready to protect the sheep, while also guiding and steering and directing them on the path that they need to go, guys. And when we are in the valley of the shadow of death, that is what our God does for us. He comes alongside us. He protects us. He says, hey, I'm with you. I'm going to show you the way, and I'm going to protect you as we work our way through this valley of the shadow of death, not an immediate removal, but a step-by-step coming alongside us, showing us the way out, and seeing that we make it through the valley of the shadow of death. And so David talks about how the good shepherd abides with his sheep as a friend, how the good shepherd comforts his sheep. And then when we make it out of this valley of the shadow of death, now in verse 5, we see how David talks about how the good shepherd celebrates his sheep how the good shepherd celebrates his sheep. David says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. In these last two verses, verses 5 and 6, what we see is David, he shifts slightly away from from the traditional sheep-shepherd imagery that he's been relying on. He, He really leans into this idea of God being our friend, being a good shepherd who cares very deeply and personally and intimately about us and who wants to celebrate us. Really, what we see here is the good shepherd celebrates his sheep as as an honored guest. He says, you prepare a table before me. And what what he's talking about here is a feast, a massive banquet, right? It's not just some simple meal. It's not simply speaking to the provision that the good shepherd provides. We've already talked about this. No, this is a celebration. You see, Jewish culture was a culture of feasting. It was a culture of banquets, of these big, huge celebrations. And I think that, you know, in our culture, we kind of miss out on some of the imagery that is created here. We're not necessarily a feasting culture now. You know, I know we're Baptists. We love to eat. Uh, We don't call them feasts or banquets. We call them fellowships, and we come together and eat. But even when we have those, those fellowships... We're not setting apart someone necessarily as a guest of honor. We're not necessarily always there to celebrate someone. Now see, the image that David is creating here is one of the the sheep being treated to this huge feast. He is the guest of honor. He is being elevated and set apart and just being celebrated. And when I I think about this, I'm reminded of of the story in Luke chapter 15 
of the prodigal son. You're probably familiar with the story, but, but the son comes to his father and he says, Father, I want my inheritance. Translation, I wish you were dead. Uh, but he says, I want my inheritance. And he gets his money, and that's the BSV, by the way, the Ben Scott version. Uh, and he, he runs away and he, he squanders his inheritance and he wastes all his money and this famine hits. And long story short, the prodigal son just finds himself living with the pigs. And so he's starting to think to himself, he's like, man, my, my father's servants live better lives than this. Surely I can just go home and I'll ask my dad, let me be a servant and I'll make some sort of you know, living for myself. And so he comes to his dad and this beautiful story, we see the dad, he's waiting on the son and he meets the son and he doesn't even give the son the opportunity to ask to be the servant. No, he takes the son back home and he holds a feast. He has a banquet. He, he spares no expenses in celebrating the life of his son who has returned back home. Church, that is how your God feels about you. He celebrates you. He wants nothing more than for you to come to him so he can set you apart. He can hold this feast, this banquet in your honor. And what we see is that David says that he does this in the presence of my enemies. In the presence of my enemies. I'm sure someone in here needs to hear this church. God isn't ashamed of you. God isn't ashamed of you. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter who's looking in, no matter what enemies surround you, God celebrates you. He wants people to see his love and his care for you. And church, as much as there are real, physical, external enemies that we have to deal with in our lives, I think perhaps the most insidious of all the enemies that we face are the ones that lurk within ourselves, the ones that lie within. And I think we're, we all know this, if we're all honest with ourselves, almost everyone is going to end up being their, their own worst enemy. Like Paul says, you know, I don't do the things I want to do, and I do the things that I don't want to do. And I think sometimes we feel like we ask too much from God. Like, sometimes I feel like we, we think we're a burden to him. Does anyone else feel that way? Is that, is that only me? We, we feel like maybe he doesn't celebrate us so much as he just tolerates us. I think we have a tough time of getting ourselves into the mindset that God loves us. He celebrates us, right? One thing after another goes wrong in our lives. We make one mistake after the other, and we tend to think that somehow we're going to run out of credit with our Lord, with our Savior. We think that maybe God is going to get annoyed with us. You know, how often do we, do we in our prayer, do you find yourself saying, hey, God, it's, it's me again. I know I said, you know, I wasn't going to do this again. Here I am. I've fallen short one more time. Church, that is not the case at all. It's so far the opposite. In the presence of our enemies, in no matter what season we're walking through in our lives, right in the middle of just the mess that we have created for ourselves, God prepares a feast for us, a banquet for us. He sets us apart as the guest of honor. He celebrates us. He says, you are my beloved. David continues on. He says, you anoint my head with oil. Again, it's just the image of God celebrating to anoint someone's head with oil. Again, to set them apart. I think maybe when David wrote this, perhaps he was thinking back into his own life when in 1 Samuel chapter 16, we see his own head being anointed with oil. When God said, this is the man I have set apart. Samuel, anoint him when God chose him to be the leader of Israel. And so I think perhaps what we see here is the idea of the good shepherd choosing us as his sheep, saying, you are mine. I want 
you, no matter what you have going on in our life. And and David goes on, he says, my cup overflows. I'm not just full, I am overflowing. Church, not only does God give, but he gives in abundance. He showers us with his love. He showers us with his blessings. He showers us with his mercy, with his grace, whatever attribute you want to throw in. God doesn't just give us enough. He gives us more and more and more and more and more. And we can't simply think of this in terms of a physical sense. right? This isn't some prosperity gospel nonsense of, oh, if you just commit yourself to the Good Shepherd Church, you will never struggle financially. If you commit yourself to the Good Shepherd, you'll never struggle emotionally. Whatever, whatever it may be there, church, that's, that's nonsense. Okay? This isn't telling us that God is going to give you a big house, a a huge car. It's not telling us he's going to give you the job of your dreams or anything like that. What it is, though, is it's a promise of a life of fulfillment. The promise of a life characterized by joy, characterized by, by peace, by all your needs being taken care of, by a good shepherd who pours out blessing upon blessing upon blessing, even in the presence of of evil. And we have to understand, church, none of this is earned. None of this is earned. A sheep doesn't do anything to earn the care that a shepherd provides it. Right? A shepherd doesn't take care of a sheep because the sheep is good enough. Right? A shepherd takes care of a sheep because he loves the sheep and because he cares for the sheep. And church, we cannot fail to see the beauty in that. We cannot fail to see how awesome it is that our God, the creator of this universe, a perfect being, sees us. He fully knows us. He knows all the good, all the bad in our lives. And he looks at us and he says, I choose you. I celebrate you. You are my beloved. Come to me. I want to shower you with blessings. That's incredible, church. The good shepherd celebrates us. And then we come to verse 6 and we see that the good shepherd pursues his sheep. The good shepherd pursues his sheep. And I think this final verse is such an encouragement because it reminds us of just everything that the good shepherd does for us, his sheep. It reminds us that it will continually be done for us throughout the remainder of our lives and into eternity. David says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I just want to break a few of these words down as I start to wrap things up. I want to look at a few of these words. First we see it says, surely goodness and mercy. Goodness, this this idea that the good shepherd, he loves, he cares for us. This is speaking to the provision and the protection and, and the blessings that we just talked about that the good shepherd pours out on us time and time again. Goodness. But he also says goodness and mercy. Goodness and mercy. And so when I was studying for, for this uh, the sermon today, that word mercy is translated all sorts of different ways depending on the translation that you get. And so I said, forget looking at different translations. I'm going to the root. I want to see the source. So I went to the Hebrew. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. But the original language, the word that is used there is the word hesed. Okay, that's H-E-S-E-E-D, hesed. And the idea of hesed isn't translatable into English. To the Jewish mind, the word hesed is the defining characteristic of God. It's the defining characteristic of God. And and it's not translatable, so we get various words like mercy, faithful love, steadfast love, maybe just faithfulness. 
Several decades ago, some biblical scholars came together and they were like, okay, we need to get an English translation for this word. What can we do? And the best thing that they could come up with was the, was the word loving kindness. Loving kindness. So biblical scholar Daryl Bach, he puts it this way. He says, hesed, the word that is used here. It's wrapping up in itself all of the positive attributes of God. It's his love, covenant faithfulness, mercy, grace, kindness, loyalty. In short, acts of devotion and loving kindness that go beyond the requirement of duty. Has said, the word mercy has said that we see here, it's the completely and totally undeserved love that God pours out upon us. It is his love put into action. Right? His has said what was shown in the ultimate way when he sent Jesus Christ, his son, to die on the cross for our sins. He didn't have to, but he took action. He, he stepped out and showed his love for us. And what we see is that it is eternal. It is limitless. David says here in verse 6 that it will follow us all of our days. And, and I, I hate to be picking apart the verse this much, but I even think the word follow falls a bit short here. Because in the original language, the word isn't follow. The word is pursues. Goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life. And I think that's an important distinction. Do we have any, any dog lovers in here? I'm a, I'm a major dog lover, right? Uh, my, my dog, uh, his name is Judah, right? He really falls into the category of man's best friend. I love my dog. He's a, he's a big golden doodle. And my dog follows me around the house. If I'm on the couch and I get up and go to the bed, Judah's probably going to follow me from one room to the other. But let me tell you, when I grab my dog's ball and I take him to the backyard and I throw that ball, my dog doesn't follow the ball. He pursues the ball. He chases after the ball. Nothing is getting in the way of my dog and reaching that ball, and I think that is such a more appropriate image of what God, what David is saying here about God. He doesn't just follow us through our life. No, he pursues us. He chases after us. You know, we mess up. He's right there behind us. There's goodness. There's mercy. I snap at my wife. There's goodness. There's mercy. I fail another time. There's goodness. There's mercy right behind me, chasing me. It doesn't give me a chance to get away because it is right there pursuing behind me. It's because of this pursuit of God, not what we've done, but how he chases after us that we can say, as David does here to end verse 6, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. And there's two meanings behind that, church. The obvious one that comes to mind, we think of the eternal life that is spent in God's presence, right? Eternal bliss, just living in direct communion with our Lord. But again, when we go back and we look at the Hebrew, David's not only speaking to our eternal life in heaven, he's speaking to this earthly life that we live now. He says, I will dwell in the Lord's presence for all of my days because my good shepherd, my close and personal friend, he is right here beside me, walking alongside me through the valley of the shadow of death, celebrating me no matter what's going on in my life, and relentlessly pursuing me with his mercy, his goodness, his grace, his love, whatever words you want to use there. Because, church, the good shepherd loves his sheep because he pursues after them. He pursues after us. We are blessed to truly know that we have the ability, the the blessing to dwell in the Lord's sanctuary throughout our life. Throughout our life, both here on this earth and 
in the earth to come, to be able to continually turn to Him, to seek His face, to follow after Him, to accept His goodness, His love, His has said that He has for us.